This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Online Enquirer podcast, and for the first time in a month, it is a post-game victory Illini football podcast as we talk about Illinois' 24-14 victory. Shout out Brett Barron's WCIA Sports Director for correctly, uh, exactly predicting this score. And as we expected, Joey Wagner, Illinois was able to run the damn football, as George Washington once said. And uh, Illinois, Chase Brown dominates 257 yards on the ground. The passing attack, not not quite so good, and that, that's a big issue we got to talk about, but the defense has a big second half, and they're able to get a victory. It wasn't a pretty victory, but it is a victory for a team to snap a four-game losing streak. It's over, Joey, and I don't know if we thought that midway through the third quarter, that this was going to be uh, a post-game victory podcast. The great poet Green Day once said, wake me up when September ends, and they have been woken up against Charlotte, uh, so, uh, you know, count it as you will, but they did not win in September. They have wins in August and now October. So, Green Day, shout out to you. But, yeah, they're it is a pump pop week here. I mean, we had uh, the Good Charlotte pod, and now we get the Wake Me Up When September Ends pod. So, well, I, I'm still basking in that reference, Joey. Well done. The opportunities just hit you. I'm sorry that you missed it. Some of us have to capitalize on this gold. Look. Well, I, I, before we get into it, I'll, I'll zoom out a little bit. I thought Brett Bielema struck the right tone in his post-game presser. This wasn't, wahoo, look at us, we've done it, we're, we're, we're back, baby. It was, this is what I came, I didn't come here to beat Charlotte. I came here to win Big Ten games, and yes, they're happy they snapped the four-game winning streak, and yes, they're happy they got a win, but this isn't, effectively, this was expected, right? This is a Conference USA team that was supposed to – I was really curious how Brett was going to handle that if they won. And I thought the tone was right. I don't think it minimizes snapping a four-game losing streak, but I don't think this is scream it from the rooftops, you know, hey, look at us. So that was interesting. Now, there's a lot to dive into with this game. And can we start with Chase Brown? Yeah. Yeah, let's start there. This is not an elixir, but this this team looked like the team we'd seen the previous two weeks, right? They ran the dang football. Uh, the offensive line played pretty well. The running backs played extremely well. Uh, and then your defense got stops. They bend but don't break. They've played this lovey ball. They get takeaways. Uh, and they came up with big stops late in the game while the rushing attack was able to get the key third downs late in the game to just milk this clock away and get a victory where Illinois had eight minutes more of possession. It was it was the same team we've seen the last couple of weeks, Joe. It was just against a worse opponent, right, where, where you can dominate up front, and Illinois certainly did that on both the offensive and defensive lines. 
But I'm glad Chase Brown had this kind of day. I know everyone knows how much I think of Chase Brown. And I, I almost got a little jealous of how much attention Josh McCray was getting because I just wanted people to remember how good Chase Brown is. Uh, and I think that that was a reminder today. Josh McCray is unbelievable. He is one of the faces of this team already, which is amazing for a true freshman. But having him and Brown together is an unbelievably good running back room for Illinois. And that is what you want every position to be, is when you have two, three guys you feel like you can you can hand the ball to and, and do really, really well. So 257 yards on 26 carries, two touchdowns. He had 80 yards by himself on one drive, 72 yards by himself on another drive in the third quarter uh, to give Illinois the lead. And without Chase Brown, I don't know if they win this game. And that's why I said on the – I think we said in the pregame podcast yesterday, or and I definitely said in the pregame show, if they have Chase Brown against Purdue, I think they win. If they have Chase Brown, I think against Maryland, I think they win. I think he's that kind of player where in that close of a game, he makes a difference. And that 80-yard touchdown run, the 31-yard touchdown run, those are the big differences in the game where he's one of the few guys on this team, Joey, that can break those long runs. And today he passed up guys like Richard Mendenhall, Red Grange, Reggie Corbin, um, that he put himself in that category to have one of the best days in Illinois football history. No, it's against Charlotte, but still, those don't happen all that often. I'm getting like visions of like Chase Brown with a handshake emoji, Nate Hobbs, and guys that Jeremy Warner jumped all aboard <laughs> early and never soured on. But he, Chase really did so much of everything, right? Like the 80 the yard run down the sideline, that was burst, man. Like he. He's a fast dude. I think sometimes like we see him as as a powerful back because he is also that, but he's fast. And there's a couple plays. I think both maybe one definitely on fourth and maybe the other on third. He just took everybody along with him. I mean, he must have brought with him four, five, six defenders. Now he had some big boys up front pushing that thing along. But he, he's a he's got such a mix of yeah. speed, of toughness, of wiggle, of power. He's He's a complete running back, and we haven't seen it in a, this game, and probably we saw it a little early against Maryland, but in the passing game, he had a couple nice pickups on pass pro today. There was just a lot that he does over the course of a game that, that's really impressive. And, and we talked about this after Maryland. If Chase Brown or Josh McCray are available in that fourth quarter, maybe Brett Bielema is more inclined to go for it. Maybe they don't have to go for it. But I, I think without him, and, and as Josh McCray emerged and he got all this attention, rightfully so, and I've said it before, probably not even enough still. Yeah. Just a good day for him. 64 yards, had the one obvious fumble that, that really hurt, but um, still a solidly productive day for him. Too. I, I think it was easy to say, oh, okay, Josh McCray, and, and kind of lose the importance of not having Chase Brown out there because he's he's probably been Illinois' best offensive player for the better part of two seasons, right? I mean, it. It certainly hasn't been the quarterback or a wide receiver. Um, <laughs> it probably was a guard last year along with Chase Brown, right? Yeah, or, a center. Yeah. or a center with, with Doug Kramer. Um, it, it's just you're seeing him healthy again, and he had battled through. So it sounds like maybe some shoulder stuff to get back. This definitely, I think we saw that against Maryland, and Brett Bielema said as much. But when he's healthy, he's a really good running back. He wasn't all third-team Big Ten last year on accident. 
Yeah, and I think some of the recent running backs where Illinois had some success at that position, right? Like Reggie Corbin was a really good running back who I think was better at Chase at making people miss in the open field. But Chase can plant his foot in the ground and change direction and make one cut. Um, and he's got more burst than a Mike Epstein. Um, I know Reggie Corbin had a lot of touchdown runs, long ones his junior year. That felt like a little fluky because he wasn't the fastest guy. Chase has got another gear than him. I think Chase has another gear than Dre Brown, yet he has – the tough runs we see uh, from Dre Brown. So I think he's one of the most talented running backs they've had in a while. Um, you know, Josh Ferguson was really good. I'm not going to say he's of the ilk of Michael LaShore or, uh, you know, Rashard Mendenhall, but he just had a day, albeit against a group of five team, that put him in the category of some of those guys. So I, I just think he is their best offensive playmaker by far. Um, and even the screen pass he got. Um, that should have been tackled for a loss for about three yards. He gained 17 on it, which was a huge third down conversion for them. And it got Brandon Peters moving a little bit, right, where, where he could get the, the offense moving. So I uh, can't throw enough flowers at uh, Chase Brown, how good he is. Josh McCray had some nice runs. The fumble really hurt. Uh, even Brandon Peters got out in the, on the move, used his legs a couple times, including the fourth down conversion, um, You know, had a 15-yard run. And I, I just think getting him moving a little bit is, is really important. But um, this running attack is, is legit. I, I think this is a solid Big Ten rushing attack that can get yards against good teams. They have a much bigger task uh, against a, a defense like Wisconsin. I know Wisconsin is not one and three, um, but obviously that is a different kind of test. But they've been able to run against Big Ten teams, and I think that will continue when you got a really good offensive line that I think has, has found its best four, at least. They put Alex Pilstrom in at left guard, sort of Bedovinak today, maybe gives him a little bit more size, maybe a little bit more athleticism. But Julian Pearl uh, has been a huge X factor up front. I saw him mulling some people. I can't wait, Joey, to dive into the film and see what happened up front a little bit more. We know Vidarian Lowe, Doug Kramer, and Palczewski have been good run blockers this season. But Julian Pearl has been a monster at times, which is – not what I thought he was. I didn't think he was this like road grader. I thought he was more athletic, kind of a swing tackle. He's been huge at right guard for them. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the offensive line before we get to the middle part of this compliment sandwich, I guess, uh, in which we talk about the passing attempts. Um, the, 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 you're seeing they're settling in. I, I think they're getting used to what Bart Miller wants them to be, what Tony Peterson wants them to be. They've definitely found their best four, right? And, and and the more you hear a little bit of Brett Bielema, you think the fifth piece of that is out with an ankle injury right now. They, they seem pretty high on, on Jordan Slaughter. But, and we've talked to Bielema about injuries throughout, and I talked to Bart Miller a little bit about injuries last week, and there's just been a piece here, a piece there on the offensive line that has probably made them look a little worse than what they are now. I think I am probably guilty of overhyping them coming into the season a little bit, but I, I don't know that the first few games is truly indicative of where they are. But they're settling in now, and Julian Pearl's a reason for that, absolutely. I think we came in, I, I said it during the our, our line primer, I think you can go back and listen to it, I said, I think this is a solid group. Is it a great group? I, I didn't know if it was a great group. What it's turned out to be is I think a really good run blocking group but a poor pass protecting group. I do think they've done they did well today, right? Against an inferior team that was undersized protecting Brandon Peters. Brandon Peters had all the time in the world today, which they should against that kind of team. Now we'll see what they can do against Wisconsin and Penn State moving forward, but 
Julian Pearl, uh, we don't know, we don't have many answers about what next year will look like on the offensive line. I think Julian Pearl is going to be the best offensive lineman they have. He could be among the best they have right now, which I think is really encouraging, knowing that he has two more years after this. I think Jordan Slaughter could certainly start. Alex Pilstrom certainly could start. And Josh Kruitz got in as a jumbo blocking tight end today. Uh, I think that's your center next year. So to have at least, you think, a stalwart in Julian Pearl next year, I think is really important. Before we, I'm glad you mentioned Josh Kruitz because we've heard Brett Bielema say, you know, maybe we'll see more of him. And he mentioned um, – Zach Barlev, right? And this is kind of goes down a line of we've heard it with Kanena. I, I don't want to. Oduluga. Thank you. I, sorry, Kanena. I don't want to butcher your name. I mean, you don't listen. Uh, <laughs> but I, I and, and conventionally in my mind, I think offense and defense, right? And, and, and when he said Josh Cruz, I thought, no, you're not getting rid of, you're not moving Doug Kramer. I think when we hear these names, we need to step back a little bit and assume one, special teams is something Brett Bielema is talking about. And two, there's different ways to utilize. We saw a little bit with Alex Pilstrom lined up as, as a monster tight end last week. We saw Josh Kruitz were 94 and lined. So I, I think just moving forward as we hear some of these freshman names, I don't think we're done hearing them. I think let's step back. And that's something we have to do as people who talk to Brett Bielema and who ask questions and, and understand that maybe this isn't always when you hear Josh Kruitz, your mind goes to center. And that's a little bit of a credit to Brett Bielema, Tony Peterson, and these, these coaches for let's, let's trying something a little bit new and, and something a little bit different to try to spark something. And and I think it worked with Josh Kruitz today, and we know he's a mean kid. But long tangent, I, I just find it interesting the way that they're kind of finding personnel and just pieces that might work that Saturday. By the way, Chase Brown's last three games, which aren't even a complete three games, 454 yards from scrimmage. Uh, that's really impressive. And uh, I think Josh McCray is over 300. So those two backs you know, combined in their last three games, it's all individually, uh, 750 total yards from scrimmage. I mean, those are your best players. All right, let's make this a compliment sandwich because we got to get to the big issue about this team. And then we'll end the podcast talking about another positive moving forward. Uh, we'll talk about that passing attack. How about it? Next on the Online Enquirer podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, the running game is really good, Joey. The passing attack looks like the worst in the country. And Brandon Peters, 10 to 19, 78 yards, and one touchdown. Pretty shocked Brett Bielma and Tony Peterson have stuck with him as long as they have. The last three games, Illinois has thrown for 363 yards. Okay? 
That's 121 yards passing per game. In comparison, Illinois' opponents have 818. Now, Illinois' passing defense at times hasn't been very good, but the last three games I think they've done pretty well. Um, so that's, what, 250 uh, about yards that, that opponents are getting. Illinois isn't even close. They are at such a disadvantage there. So for everything about getting a win and the running attack and the defense, like those are things we all saw the last couple weeks that we're not surprised Illinois came out with a victory over Charlotte. Um, the passing attack is the biggest question for them moving forward. How do they address it? Because you can't win that way, and we've seen it during Big Ten play. You can't win with a passing attack that doesn't hit deep shots or a quarterback who doesn't find the open receiver when he's wide open. Brandon Peters continues to struggle. I think he continues to struggle seeing the field. Yet Illinois seems really committed uh, to Brandon Peters' quarterback. Jim Leonard next week might pass out at the mere thought of being able to put everybody in the box, right? I, I mean, seriously, I, I don't know how much he's really going to have to defend the pass. And I think we're seeing a little bit more, and I, I, I don't want to say this because I don't know, and certainly we wouldn't be told in a press conference, but what does this say about where they think Art Sikowski is, yep. right? Because Brandon has not been impressive. Ineffective. He's just been ineffective. Like, and I understand, like, you can't put it on pass blocking today. There are a couple receiver drops that are on the receivers, right? They did not help Brandon at certain times today. But there are times where the receivers are wide open and Brandon's not getting the ball. I, I want to go to the play. I think everybody saw it. And Lauren Tate might still be screaming about it. Uh, down in the red zone, Isaiah Williams, I'm looking at the field right now as we record this. I can almost see the spot he's standing, and there was nobody even close to him. I know, like, that sometimes is overused. Like, oh, he was wide open. I mean, like, Isaiah could have run into the end zone, up the tunnel, out. He could have, he could have maybe even put some, some foundation down and up it. <laughs> there, were the three, there were three defenders on that side of the field. They all crashed, like, on the play fake. One went to Luke Ford, and Brandon kind of tossed up this duck – hoping Luke Forward catching. Luke Forward kind of was open. I'll give him that. But Isaiah Williams is just wide open. All he had to do was just lob it up there. Isaiah, easy scamper for touchdown. And there were like two or three more Isaiah Williams wide open. And it just felt like, and I got a text from somebody who knows a lot better about football than I do. He's not going through his progressions. He's not seeing the field. And when he's rushed, he's not stepping up, moving away. Like you see all Chris Reynolds. Like, Owen Carney bearing down on Chris Reynolds. He buys himself some time. Tight end slips out, and he gets a third, big third down conversion. Brandon's just bailing, you know, going to his left, and it's just not giving yourself chances to make plays. I'm shocked they, they stuck with him, Joey, because it, it looked like the last couple weeks, a guy that just isn't seeing the field, doesn't trust what's going around him, and doesn't have a lot of confidence I'll give him he made a couple good throws in the second half. There was one to Isaiah Williams that was really good. He had a couple throws uh, to Casey Washington that I thought were pretty good, but those are so few and far between. It's more a see in the field for me and, and trusting his teammates. I just don't, I don't see it out there. And I understand, you know, the receivers have not earned that trust, but at some point you got to give them a, a chance to make some plays and, and give it to them when, when they're open. I'm sorry, man. Calling that pass to Luke Ford or Duck is a disservice to Ducks. <laughs> I mean, that was so dangerous and so risky in a place where they have to get in the end zone. And now, credit where it's due, the next pass, he threw a laser beam to Daniel Barker, it, which was also a risky pass, and Chase Brown 
probably because Chase Brown doesn't go down on first contact or, or really get touched, you know, in one-on-one, he would have, Chase would have had to make a play to pick up the first down there, which was about the two-yard line. It was about a ten-yard pass to Barker. It was a laser beam, but it was risky. And I know Jer- – I'll give him that. He made a play. Yes. He made a play. And like, I don't know how he got the ball to Barker, but he did. So kudos to him, even if it, I didn't think in time it was a smart throw. No, and I, the pass to Isaiah Williams was nice. I think you're seeing a little bit developing with Casey Washington and Brandon Peters. And, and Casey, I know he's had some drops. He's He's got pretty good hands, man. Like uh, the, the drops we see in a game can't happen. But that's not defining who he is. And I think Brandon's getting a little bit of trust. I think you're also seeing, Jeremy, is – Brandon's got to find a receiver he trusts not named Joshy Matter Bebe. Yeah. And that was for good reason, man. You can't give that guy enough targets. But now Brandon's got to look and find other guys he trusts. And you're seeing that work through, and it's not always pretty at all. But I'm just curious as that continues to develop. But I know, Jeremy, you and I, and I don't think we were alone in the press box, are scanning quarterbacks as they come out in the second half. Because I thought that was a time – to make a move, and I, to go back to a little bit of my thinking, which obviously is not correct, you have Jim Leonard in Wisconsin next week. If this isn't the answer, if this isn't an answer you're comfortable moving forward with with Brandon, which obviously is not the case, I don't want to put Art out there. Right. Well, what do you think would change your minds at this point? At this point, like, I've seen enough, like, I just I don't think you have a quarterback right now that is confident enough or making the decisions to, to lead you to a good passing attack, yet they kept them in there. And I think Brandon had a good drive or two where he made a throw or two and Chase Brown did the rest, right? Um, they're hoping to gain his confidence. Like, we haven't talked to Brandon in three weeks. We're hoping he's made available to us at some point so we can talk to him. But I do think they're insulating him from those kind of questions or they are – saying like, hey, we don't know if we want him out there answering, I don't know how sharp-toothed we are as a media group, but asking like, hey, what are you seeing out there? Like, how do you feel you're playing? Um, Brett Bielma said behind closed doors and in practice, he's been hard on him, Joey, and and he's been – but like the way he's treating him with us, not being able to talk to him, it does feel like they're trying to handle that with kids' glove a little bit while – apparently Brandon gets after it. Uh, he gets after Brandon in practice. But I agree with you. Like, they must not – this says a lot about how they probably feel about Art Sikowski or their other options because they've stuck with him. And I asked Brett about that. Like, you, you've you stuck with him and really trusted him and, and, you know, kind of committed to him and what gives you that confidence. And, you know, I don't know if Brett had a great answer, but they obviously feel like he's still their best option, which is kind of shocking given that you're – getting 121 passing yards per game right now. It's good fast math on that, by the way. <laughs> uh, to answer your question, what would have been – I wonder if he throws a pick. If there's an interception – and to his credit, outside of the – Is that it? Is it just because he doesn't turn the ball over? Like that, that, that is the best thing about him is he's got one turnover in three games. And Art, for their, in their defense, only had one interception in his three games but should have had probably four. And I think today they're really nervous. Art might throw it to Charlotte and change the game. So I'm wondering if they think that Brandon won't turn it over. And frankly, I mean, I can't like see that interception that he had on a loop. It stinks for him. He only has one because everyone remembers the one, right? And the, the um, you know, kind of the story around it there. But I'm wondering if they think, you know what? If he can make a couple eight-yard passes in the game, if that's what it comes down to, they 
so firmly believe in their running attack that they can mask a lot of that. But, but I, I can just, I almost can see your blood start to boil a little bit. <laughs> Brent Bielma said on the radio, his post-game radio show and in his press conference, he understands that you've got to connect on some of those deep passes, right? This can't be a clap your hands, we gave it a shot type of thing. You, you've got to hit those. And, and he's been awful at it. I thought the one early on to Carlos Sandy, Carlos Sandy was open now. And the throw, he probably should have come down with it, to be fair. I, I don't know that Carlos is the best option there. Correct. <laughs> but I also think, and I'm no quarterback, but it looked to me, it's like throw it a little earlier and you might have something. I, again, I don't. You're nitpicking at that point, but the point being, you got. If you're going to have your big armed quarterback in there, and that's the thing you like about him, you got to hit those, right? The the deuce span throw. Um, That's a great call. That is a wide open throw that we saw Art Sikowski make. Now, Art missed one of them terribly, but he also hit deuce on three deep balls, while Brandon has yet to complete. A deep ball. I think it was one pass of 20-plus yards over the last three weeks, and that was Isaiah Williams uh, at, at one big comeback uh, route. And that's it. They have not been – so if, you're, if that's the reason they've talked about his arm strength, well, he's got a strong arm, but if he's not putting it in the right spot, he completely underthrew Deuce Spann, who was wide open in the middle of the field, just throw it out to him, give him enough spot um, to where he can go get it. And the quarterback underthrew him, and the DB was able to recover and break it up. You know, we, when we, they lined up, I think we looked at each other and we said, this is a Deuce play, yeah. isn't it? And, and sure enough, the safety didn't, for reasons I will probably never understand, didn't shade to Deuce Spann. And I, I hear Chase Brown's words he has, quote, Olympic speed. It's my thought that it's very hard to overthrow somebody who has, quote, Olympic speed. And, you know, I, I don't know, man. That, that, that's in such an example. Now, I will say, Art did hit him three times. He kind of tried his hardest down the sideline and wanted him to not <laughs> get it to Right. Him. So it's not like he's been better, but he's at least given his receivers a better chance. chance. Yeah. And I, and then, no, that, on that same drive with Carlos, Isaiah Williams had a drop. Luke Ford had a drop. So then it's those moments, and I'm not trying to give this, you know, full-bellied defense of Brandon Peters here, but it's those where you kind of look and say, yeah, that that changes the complexion a little bit of the drive, right? I mean, you you have three drops, two and a half drops. Let's not put it all on Carlos Sandy or on Brandon Peters. It's a nice mix of both, but – I don't you got to hit those. If that's if that's your calling card to this quarterback, you've got to hit them. And the deuce span is a great point out there, Jeremy, because that's the one that it's like, who? You that, have to hit them. And he hasn't hit him. He hasn't hit any of them. Like, I understand you could have one under throw, right? It can happen. But it's been week after week of this. And you just every time Illinois plays an opponent, no matter what opponent, they're at a disadvantage at the quarterback in the passing game situation. Chris Reynolds made it look easy. 17 to 23, 191 yards, two touchdowns. He wants that interception back where he did have four defensive linemen in his face, and I think he's under six foot, so he probably couldn't see anything. And Keith Randolph with with the fun pick in, in a big moment in that game. But he just made these throws that made it look easy, made decisions that made it look easy, uh, got the ball out so quickly. It's just you watch these other teams and you're like, why is this so easy for a quarterback when it looks so difficult for Illinois? And I get that most of these teams probably have some better receivers, but 
Isaiah Williams is more talented than these other receivers. Like, Luke Ford is more talented and Daniel Barker than these other um, tight ends, right? I mean, even Casey Washington, like, he'd be one of the top wideouts at Charlotte or, or UTSA. So, like, why is it so – looks so easy for them and not for Illinois? I know receivers have a part to play. The protection has a part to play. But the, the quarterback, it is obvious. Like, just got to make some plays, and Illinois isn't. The Keith Randolph interception reminded me so much of the forced fumble by Seth Coleman against, was that Maryland, if I'm not mis- No, it, it had to be Maryland, where the defense gives the offense the ball and really good. And in this case today, it was at the 28-yard line and a holding penalty, not Brandon Peters' fault. It goes backwards. A run gets six. He throws it off to Luke Ford. You lose a yard. You get one on the run on third and 15, and the field goal misses from 50 yards from James McCourt. It, I just have flashbacks to the Seth Coleman. He rips the ball out, all the momentum. Hey, 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 defense gets you there. And the pick to Luke Ford. You've got to in those moments. We talk about complimentary football so much, and this isn't necessarily only on Brandon Peters. Brandon Peters didn't call for the hold here. But those are the moments where the defense just gives you this gift of life. You've got to just pick it up. And when Tony Peterson says, hey, I think we're close, I think we're close, at first, I know the, the instinct is to roll your eyes and say, all right, dude, but... But if you look at the, the deuce man throw, the Carlos Sandy throw, the defense getting them in position here, and I don't remember how much the play was before the holding call, you start to see, like, you know what? It's not... I don't know that I would call it close, but I wouldn't... It's not as far as I thought it was. And, and these are the moments that you have to, when Brett says you have to learn to win, I'm sure he means when the defense gives you the ball at the 28-yard line, get one single point, preferably that, seven of them. That happened twice today, right? You had the Sidney Brown forced fumble, Kirby Joseph recovers, and you don't get points out of that one, I believe. And then the same thing with the, the Keith Randolph one because you had the Josh McCray fumble, That's right? exactly right, 32-yard line. Uh, Sidney Brown forces it. Kirby Joseph, revelation a little bit here, yeah. gets it. You get at the 32-yard line. You get down to the nine. Josh McCray fumbles. That's, again, I know I pivoted away from Brandon Peters, but when you talk about being close and learning how to win, those two, you score any number. Assuming you score 14 on those yeah. two, this is – you're not sweating in the third quarter. Can, can, I, can I say this? I thought Tony Peterson had a solid game. Like I didn't, I didn't have a lot of big issues with him today. Like people can go after it because I mean the quarterback decision is the one we can criticize, whether it's him or Bielema. And ultimately, it is Bielema. Um, but obviously, Tony Peterson probably is telling Bielema he still wants Brandon Peters to be his quarterback. But like the actual play calls and play designs, I thought there was a lot of creativity today. There were different formations. Um, you know, they didn't get Isaiah Williams the ball in some of those jet sweep things, but they didn't some, need to. We saw some screens. Yeah, we, got, we saw some screens. They didn't need to because their running backs were playing so well, and they ran the ball, and they were just looking for ways. And I thought he dialed up some plays where he got receivers open. He got some tight ends open. He got running backs open, uh, and his quarterback just didn't deliver or make the right decision. So I didn't have a lot of big issues with Tony Peterson, but the quarterback position has to be better. It just If they want to win a Big Ten game, a Big Ten game, they need their quarterback to play a heck of a lot better than it has the last couple weeks. And Art wasn't good enough uh, against UHSA. He wasn't good enough against Virginia. Uh, he was good enough against Nebraska. And that's where you wonder, if he were in the last couple weeks, 
are you turning it over a heck of a lot more to where you're not in those games? Or are you passing it just enough and converting uh, enough on these passes to where you have a couple more wins? It becomes risk calculation, right? Yeah. At that point, and I think we've seen that they prefer to calculate where there's less risk. Um, a Big Ten, it would be another Big Ten win. They have one again. I'm saying a uh, sure. Big Ten yes, win moving yes, forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I'll say, I, I did roll my eyes a little bit on Monday when Tony Peterson said, guys, you know, with this, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing it. I, and I know it was Charlie. That's kind of like the elephant in the room here is like, yeah, all of this stuff should have been happening. But did you see a little bit more truth in what Tony Peterson had been saying? I, I did a little bit, and I, I think you are seeing – I love the timing of that shot to do. So I'd have to go back in my notes here and see when he, he went for it. But I just thought that timing was – it just felt like the right They're time. They're running the ball well. It was yeah. first and ten. And you're thinking play action shot deep, and they did. It was a first – yeah, it was. It was a first and ten. The sixth play of the drive, Chase Brown had – had taken that was a drive he had 72 yards on and, and deuce would have run all the way to the the stinky cow place across the way south farms south farms <laughs> i mean he, he was open so when you see that you're like okay i i do like that from tony peters and you know the, the hard part and we'll get to that is the other coordinator he could be the mayor tomorrow around <laughs> here man he's really doing a good job uh i, I don't know man i i think they are finding what they're good at offensively and finding the right timing at things. It took longer than the defense, but I think you are, again, Charlotte, I know, but I think you are seeing a little bit of that take shape. They're a bully ball team. And can they be that against Wisconsin? We'll see. Can they be that against Penn State? We'll see. Can they run the ball effectively against Minnesota and Northwestern? Absolutely. I mean, Iowa. Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe you do just want to run the football every time against Iowa, given what happened to Maryland and uh, Talia telling of Iowa. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's some opportunities here where I think you'll be able to run the football and try to play sound defense and stay in games. That's what they're going to try and do. And not having turnovers is a very important part of that. But Brett Bielema knows the next step for his team is being able to throw the damn football and to throw it for more than 150 yards in a game. And they've done that, I guess, once in the last three games, but they were 10 of 26 passing uh, and playing catch-up at, at certain points of that game. So it's just – they have to figure it out. I don't know if they will. I, I, I don't know if they will, and, and there's just not a lot of confidence Brandon Peters can do it. Let, let's talk about that other coordinator. Um, Charlotte was dicing up Illinois. The passing attack, the DBs didn't look very good. Kind of had some UTSA vibes in that first half, especially on the two touchdown passes, right? But Chris Reynolds, to his credit, that quarterback, little guy, he's making a bunch of plays. And uh, just his receivers are making some plays, too. I mean, Elias, Elijah Spencer just mossed Tony Adams, just mossed him. And you're thinking, oh, no. And then the second half, I don't have the stats in front of me, Joe. I'll look them up here in a second, but – they really limited uh, that passing attack. They got after him, three sacks in the entire game, Owen Carney back-to-back sacks. But they just made big stops, big plays. Um, we talked about Kirby Joseph, the pass breakup that he had in the end zone to force a field goal that Charlotte missed. Uh, Owen Carney's back-to-back sacks really ruined an entire drive uh, for Charlotte. And then the pick for Keith Randolph where – Every defensive lineman was there. It felt like it should have been a screen pass, but I'm not sure it was. Um, they just made some big plays, and Ryan Walters made halftime adjustments that clearly worked. Maybe we overrate those things, but they just played better football, that's for sure. 
and you made the point, Joey, they gave up 42 points to Virginia last three weeks against three pretty good offenses. Let's give some credit to, you know, Maryland didn't do it against Iowa, but that's a pretty dangerous offense. Purdue's a dangerous offense. And Charlotte, um, obviously in the first half, looked like it was dangerous. And they've allowed, what, 47 points over the last three games. Uh, just really impressive. I, I, we keep saying it, but uh, I think Ryan Walters is the real deal. And you can tell why Brett Bielma wanted to hire him. Look, I'm not very good at math. Let's just put that out there. But it looks to me 107 second-half yards for Charlotte. It's really good because they had a total of, as I go through my note, 263. And I just think that Ryan Walters has done such a good job of, one, he found what works, what doesn't work. What didn't work, and you hate I mean, Derek Smith did not work. You know who does work is Kirby Joseph who the guy seems to just find that football every time he looks up. He's, he's an athlete. They needed an athlete back there. He is playing some really, really good football. It feels like Ryan Walters has found the recipe for Sidney Brown. I, I think you're starting to see that. You, you've seen him, a lot of what we talked about, he's going to the lovey mode a little bit. And, and he's talked about this, and I think you're seeing it more. Make a college quarterback make a play. Make him do it. You make it hard on them, make them make a throw, and trust your odds that they're not going to do it. And, and I think he's really – I think Charlotte was 4 of 10. I know. I know exactly what I'm saying. But No, no. This is, just, this is what I kept saying about Lovey Smith is make, make 18 to 22-year-old college quarterbacks, not NFL quarterbacks, make tough decisions and, and confuse them up front. Do different alignments. You know, change your coverages a little bit more instead of knowing exactly what is coming – Ryan Walters is not doing that. He's, his defense playing lovey ball, right? Keep everything in front of us, force turnovers, get a little bit of pass rush. They've been doing that, but they've just been doing it in a different kind of way schematically than lovey did. Yeah, and I think that's a credit to Ryan for understanding, and I know I've talked about it before, what works, and that might not always align with philosophically what he wants long-term to be. But he understands that long-term doesn't really matter right now with a roster you didn't recruit. It's finding the best way to put this team together. I think you sorely missed Devin Witherspoon today. Yeah, because what is – I was about to say, what is the weakness of your defense right now? I think it's corner, right? Like, Taz Nicholson is battling. Tony Adams made a couple of nice plays, but he also got mossed there, and he just hasn't been uh, what they hoped he would be. But, like, I think the strength of your team right now is – your safeties are pretty strong. Like Sidney Brown and Kirby Joseph are playing good ball. I think your front is really good. They have been great against the run the last several games. Uh, but they're also starting to get a little bit of pressure, right? I don't think they're a great pass rush team, but they're starting to get more pressure on the quarterback. So I think you're trying to hide those two corners in one-on-one -on -one situations. You got them in one-on-one -on -one situations today in the first half. They got beat. Um, but other than that, you're playing a lot of zone, and you're, you're kind of hiding those guys as best you can while the rest of the defense is doing their job. You are seeing the emergences of, and I know Brett Bielema talked about this in his postgame, Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton. And I know Keith missed some time, and Johnny did not always have his best games this season. But you are seeing that those two are a problem. I mean, they are they're getting some pressure. Rod Perry's getting pressure. And even if they're not getting home, and I know we had talked about this before the season, don't measure the three-down linemen by sacks, right? I, I think that's just a, a bad way to measure their impact. Look at what they're doing for Seth Coleman, for Isaiah Gay. For, it's disruption. It's exactly what it is. So 
I, I think a lot of it starts with those guys and Terrence Jamison and Kevin Kane get some credit for that, get a lot of credit. I think Andy Booz had those the linebackers not named Jay Canson, Tariq Barnes and Kalon Tolson. Horrible flag, by the way. Let's just put that out there. One of the just stupid. They tackled him. Too not hard. stupid on him. It's a stupid flag to throw. Can't tackle that hard, Joe. Goodness gracious. What a disaster. <laughs> that was a horrible, horrible call. But I, I think you're that was a position we thought depth was going to be pretty solid anyway, but to lose C.J. Hart and to not have Jake Hansen for two games, those guys are playing well. There was a play Tariq Barnes was pulled out along the sideline, the, the far sideline in coverage. Now, Kirby Joseph really laid a heck of a hit, but Tariq Barnes held up in coverage. And it's just those things. And now as I as I talk through this long-windedly, I, I'm seeing, like, yeah, the corners just mask. Mask as much as you can. And before Tony Adams got mossed, Taz Nicholson got beat. For 37 down the the other sideline. So you've got junior college cornerbacks. There might be a Big Ten University for you. Well, <laughs> and there were two guys visiting today. There it is. Let's talk uh, Elijah McCantos, a three-star Florida DB, who is very long. I was told he's got a six-foot-five wingspan, has a bunch of Power Five offers, and I think you're in a winnable recruitment because it's a lot of other rebuilding, you know, struggling Power 5 programs you're kind of competing against, though LSU and Michigan had offered him, right? So he's got talent. Um, a guy that I think can come in and, and possibly play right away. And then a big one, four-star Michigan commit out of Tennessee, Cody Jones, uh, who's getting recruited hard by Corey Patterson, Aaron Henry, Brett Bioma, and they are selling him on immediate starter at DB, potentially play running back as well. I caught up with him. I'll have more of a story on that, but that's the position. Obviously, they are trying to upgrade a lot along with quarterback, but they need upgrades at that position. But Ryan Walters has worked around that, right? He's been able to work around that, so kudos to him. And we have to say, it's going to get harder to work around that as the schedule gets deeper into Big Ten play. I don't know that it's going to get harder against Wisconsin, but it's going to get harder against Penn State. And it might get harder against Iowa. And you know, we'll see beyond that. It might not be that much more difficult. There might be other challenges ahead. But I think Ryan Walters should get a lot of credit. I mean, I, I more credit than he's getting. He's getting a pretty good amount from you and I here. He, it, it's just really, I remember, Jeremy, we sat in Charlottesville, Virginia, in that first quarter, and we thought, oh, no. Are they ever? We've seen this before. Are they ever going to get a defensive stop? Will any team ever run the ball again? Why would you bother? And you saw it against UTSA too, and you thought, "Geez, this is going to be a total nightmare." And then even the Maryland week. Remember, we were like, "Oh, oh my, this is going to get this is going to get probably hard to watch defensively." And Ryan Walters moved to the field, schematically settled in. He's it feels like he's really building confidence in his guys and just saying, "Guys." I trust you. Go do this. I, I believe what you're doing, and I think you're seeing that that off. And it's just a nice balance of, of pass rush. And, you know, I, I think Owen Carney had a couple coverage. Set. The second sack on two back-to-back was a really good play. And it was a good play to get home on the first one. I think he benefited from some nice coverage in the back end. And Owen's always got great motor, and he gets that's why he gets coverage sacks all the time is because he never quits on a play. That's right. And, and I to get this safety play, Jeremy, if you'll remember, you do remember, before the season, we were like, who in the world is going to play safety here? Because I don't know. I mean, it was it was rough. And I think even probably after the Virginia game or after the UTSA game, we had a very similar thought process. Sidney Brown, I remember walking out of a, a maybe a, a fall 
you know, media day with you, and, and we both kind of agreed, I don't want to give up on the kid yet. Because you see a lot of, of this, these features, these traits that, that you think could work. And I don't think he's very good in coverage. I, I think that's pretty clear by the, the, the analytics behind it. But they're putting him in the box and they're saying, dude, do you like to hit people? Rock with it. He's been pretty good lately. Uh, you've, seen, you've, seen, yeah. you've seen flashes of Sidney throughout his career. I mean, he was all Big Ten third team because he made big plays for them. The key was consistency. Yep. It, was, it was being in the right spot, which was a problem for him, and tackling. And usually the tackling went along with not being in the right spot. So he's in the right spot. And, and kudos to Ryan Walters, who was his position coach, uh, for getting the most out of a guy I didn't think he was going to make an impact the rest of his career in Kirby Joseph, or we didn't have a reason to think he would outside of special teams where he's been great. Um, and then Sidney Brown, a guy I'm like, okay, this is a really good player, good talent. When is he going to put it all together? He's putting it all together. Sidney Brown's been one of their best players. I think we should also add I, some of this in my mind is made possible by Quan Martin being a, a pretty solid at the star role because we thought he was going to be a safety. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was everything we thought. And then – you heard, like, oh, if Derek Smith wasn't suspended for the first half, he would have thought, and you, he would have started, and we thought, Derek, all right, well, you know, we'll see how this thing plays out. Not well. But because I, I, I just feel like that's a big deal to not to be able to trust Quan at that position and, and then to tap into the Kirby Joseph athleticism and get him to put it together, that is, I, I think if you objectively look at this job by Ryan Walters and realize there is a talent gap defensively, for, and, and for find out, and it's not perfect, right? I mean, th- there are times where the defense, especially today against Charlotte, we're like, oh my goodness, you probably should get a stop here if, if possible, and they didn't on a couple drives. But for him to just kind of week by week glue this together, man, it's impressive. Well, coach's job is to put his players in positions to succeed. I actually thought. Both coordinators did that today. Uh, I thought both coordinators did that well today. There's a lot better execution by the running backs, the running game, and the defense, Uh, at least especially in the second half with the defense, uh, the passing attack has to get fixed. Otherwise, Wisconsin and Jim Leonard, I know they're struggling right now, but uh, that defense is, is still really, really good, and that's a big task. But at least maybe they'll have some confidence going into that homecoming week, and we'll see what they can do. Real quickly, MVP not named Chase Brown. Oh, that's a good one. Um, hard not to go. I mean, O-line. I thought Julian Pearl. I'd have to watch watch the film. Got to watch the film, Joe. Figure it all out. Um, <laughs> you know what I can say? It's not Blake Hayes because he only punted once. A career low. Yeah, what the oh, heck? Blake, I'll tell you, has there ever been a time? I imagine he got home. Like, I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> this is the easiest day of work I've ever had. I, I might lean – I might lean towards Kirby Joseph because I think there were t- the plays he made were just really timely. I, that PBU was huge. I, I, I thought that was an absolutely monstrous play. I mean, Sydney forced the fumble, so I know like you know he gets a stat uh, Kirby for scooping it up. He didn't do the hard part. Yeah, I, that was whatever, right? I mean, good heads up play to be there. I mean, those back to back sacks by Carney were really good. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's the thing about that defense. I don't feel like. I mean, Sydney, Owen. And Kirby have probably been the biggest playmakers, right? But, like, I just feel like it's a solid group. Like, I, I don't feel like I could name a defensive MVP right now. I'm sure some people would like to give it to Kirby Jones. I think Sidney Brown is is very high up there as well. Um, and then the offensive line. I just think the offensive line did what it's supposed to do. Brett Bielma said, we got to make it a Big Ten game. 
we knew what he was telegraphing, that they're going to run the damn football and that they have to impose their will. They did. So kudos to those guys. And they got a running back who could, who could break one off when they did block well. Yeah, I, I mean, not named Chase Brown was such a, a big qualifier. Because <laughs> he, he might be the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week by the end of this, uh, by the end of this thing. I'm, I know, as I'm Ohio State's putting up Ohio huge State's numbers. Ohio put up a million, uh, so maybe not that much. But And uh, J.J. McCarthy in Michigan, apparently, won a game, big game. I think maybe it's a good thing it's hard for us to pick the defensive MVP. I agree. Because I think that's – they're working in tandem with what they have. And, and I think that is, is so important. Owen Carney – you're right. The dude had two sacks. He had a lot more pressures than that. And here I am. I'm like, ah, it's whatever. Coverage sacks. He had a really good game. And I thought, I thought both all the outside linebackers before Seth Coleman was hurt. And I know uh, Isaiah Gay left the game. Though Brett Bielema said he was cleared to return. I thought they were getting some pressure and just really pushing those tackles back in into the face of Chris, Chris Reynolds. So it's a pretty complete defensive performance. And when you have that, let Chase cook. Absolutely. Look what happens when we win. Joey gets chatty when we go 47 minutes it's 47 on the podcast. Beer's getting warm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us here at Memorial Stadium. We'll be back next week for homecoming uh, against Wisconsin. We'll see. You know, we've seen crazier homecoming wins against Wisconsin two years ago. James McCourt, part two, the <laughs> remix. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but uh, thank you for listening to the Illini Choir podcast. We'll have a lot more coming up. Joey's got a really cool angle to the Chase Brown story, which, of course, he's going to write. I'll have my five takeaways after this game and some pretty big recruiting updates uh, after this game. So I'll have that for you, too. I talked to an astronaut today. Mike Hopkins was here. That was cool. Did you tell your mom that? No, no, no. I just wanted to, want to text back and forth. I don't have time for that. <laughs> you better tell your mother you talked to an actor. I will say the coolest thing, I, I know we're sorry, the coolest thing was talking to Mike Hopkins and hearing somebody in front of you say, I was not on this planet for 338 or 333 days. Just let that sink in. That is incredible. A fun story. He was in space. He would follow Illinois football. They had the internet. I don't know how. I don't know how all that works. They, they, they had, have satellites yeah, up there, Joe. Fine. So he's on the internet. And he's, he's following football. He called the football office from space trying to talk to Brett Bielma, who, I, my understanding, was out of office. Obviously, they've connected. Can you give the astronaut his cell number? <laughs> yeah, I mean, someone get this guy connected here. It's, it's pretty cool. He, he was back. I know he talked with the team. And dude was in space. That's cool. It's pretty cool to be in space. What would, what would you want to ride in space? Do you have a favorite, like, spaceship? I don't even know spaceships. Millennial Falcon? Who was in, more, who was in space? I go X-Wing. I always like the X-Wing. Who was in space more, Mike Hopkins or Chase Brown? <laughs> Good <night>. <laughs> <laughs> And that'll do it for us on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next time on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.